But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Give Us a Second, a mini-show series brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 42nd edition. We're talking about Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage, the new documentary exclusive to HBO Max. I'm assuming also probably on HBO as well. But I'm not I sure. I would think so. It but you fun. can watch it on demand on HBO Max. It was funny when I uh, getting ready to watch it and just talking to Lindsay about what it was. But then as I was getting ready to do this episode or watch this thing, I'm like, yeah, I, I need to watch this. And I kept calling it the MTV documentary <laughs> by accident. Like, I'd be like, yeah, I got to watch that MTV documentary. I guess it's just like so ingrained in me that Woodstock 99 and MTV are like so connected, which is a part of it. Yeah. So before we discuss this cultural moment in time maybe one of the more embarrassing pop culture moments in america's history i think that's fair let's remind everyone to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on apple podcasts give us a rating and review let us know if you'd like a sticker letterboxd zach 1983 and matt crosby on there the plan right now as of us recording this is that we're releasing this on sunday night Usually new episodes for us come out Monday night, so there won't be one tomorrow. Needless to say, as of us recording this, it's up in the air when the next one will be. It could be in a couple days. Pay attention to Twitter. Zach will give updates on there. Maybe. (laughs) Just be subscribed. Yeah. You'll see when the new episodes drop. So before we talk about this, let's just get rid of the necessary details. Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage was directed by Garrett Price. There were 11 producers, but among them were Bill Simmons, who was the executive producer, and Mm -hmm. one of the other producers was Sean Fennessy. This is part of Ringer Films, which is sort of annoying in a way. Yeah, really like our arch nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, Bill and Sean are not in the documentary, which would have made me scream and not want to talk about it. help the quality and its watchability, I would say. Yeah. So the background on Woodstock 99, we're talking about 30 years after the original Woodstock, which took place in 1969. The dates were July 22nd through July 25th of 1999. It took place in Rome, New York. There were over 400,000 people attending over four days, and it was fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Cable network MTV covered the event extensively, And live coverage of the entire weekend was available on pay-per-view for either $29.95 for a day or $59.95 for the entire festival. Woodstock 1999 was marred by environmental conditions, violence, sexual assault, allegations of rape, looting, vandalism, and fires. So let's get into it. Yeah, really. I gotta tell you, festival (laughs) life... I don't think would ever be for me. No. Really not here, though. I mean, oh, God. Yeah, this is 
the pinnacle of things that I would not do well at. I was only 15 at the time, although I was aware of Woodstock 99 and would have been desperate to go because I was an idiot and all of my friends were idiots As and we, we all, all were. terrible yes. music. If I had actually somehow been able to go, I would have been trying to convince my friends to leave by Friday night. <laughs> yeah, this is a huge mistake. We shouldn't be here. This is a nightmare. I wouldn't even be able to do the part. And I, I've heard people talk about this now, even for like smaller festivals. It seems like wherever these are, there's never a good road to take to get there. Like you have to do the thing where you sit in traffic for four hours just to get to park. Well, right, because it's usually I, in a big empty space. Yeah, so yeah. why would there be a lot of roads right. there? Like that sounds horrific to me. I cannot do it. The documentary kicks off reminding us about Woodstock 94, which was the 25th anniversary of the original, and how Woodstock 94 was nothing but positive vibes. And in a lot of ways, exceeded expectations. Everyone thought it was going to be a disaster. Everything went fairly smooth. Mm. It recaptured a lot of the same energy. It had a lot of the same type of acts, and some of the same acts, frankly. I can tell you going into Woodstock 99... That I probably had no idea that a Woodstock '94 had happened. I had the double CD Woodstock '94 with yeah. the live performances. It was a mixture of older people, like who were at the original, like Crosby, Stills and Nash, kind mm-hmm. of a thing, and Joe Cocker and what have you. But then there was like Green Day, Green Day, Blind Melon, the Cranberries, which are featured in this documentary. Oh yeah, which was a little bit sad to see. Definitely. Nine Inch Nails, which okay. seems more akin to Woodstock <laughs> right. 99. But yeah. In 99, they put it on this big Air Force base that was closed, which <laughs> I'm thankful that someone in the documentary pointed out the irony of having Woodstock on a military yeah, <laughs> thing. The biggest takeaway for me from the entire thing, now that it's been 22 years since the event itself, and looking at the lineup, experiencing some of the footage that you see in this documentary, how fucking terrible was music? Yeah, I know. A shameful period of time for everyone. It was a really odd period in the culture, for sure, in terms of what we collectively thought was good. (laughs) Yeah. The things that were hitting the tops of the charts. I remember it well, the TRL era, and just how prominent it was for people who were of high school age. Yeah, this would be the TRL Wars, and they'd talk about this in the doc itself. There was a coming together of this aggressive yeah. new metal, rap metal, and then also the pop rebirth with NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, right. Britney, Christina, etc. And every day on TRL, like Korn is going back and forth from number one with NSYNC. Yeah, stuff like that. But it is odd. You're like, I cannot believe, A, that anyone liked corner limp biscuit i liked both but i can't it just i cannot believe that anyone did but then like even more specifically like teenage girls like girls that i was peers with are bigger limp biscuit fans than me yeah it did seem like there was a cultural divide and you had to pick sides because these were the big things so yeah. if you didn't really like the Sync backstreet boys it just was like well i guess i like the other thing well, I felt like there was a lot of people who liked both. Yeah, I was probably that yeah, person. Same. <laughs> I definitely had NSYNC CDs and Corn CDs. NSYNC CD? <laughs> oh, yeah, no strings attached. Oh, no. Oh, please. Like, you didn't have embarrassing pop CDs. Like, you still don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm still buying CDs. 
Yeah, I mean, I had Britney CDs. I think you've bought CDs more recently than probably anyone else that I know. Yeah. I it's mean, probably been like five years, yeah. though. But you were probably the last person whose car that I got into, and, and you were like, oh, I just picked this up on CD and put it in. Oh, yeah, I did buy that used Flickr stick CD. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had a CD copy of A Star is Born. And I think you bought a couple of like the older Taylor Swift CDs at one point. Maybe. I'm pretty sure you did. That was a while ago. Yeah, but... yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've aired all of my dirty laundry... <laughs> You want to talk about well, we, when we, I was buying cassettes now? <laughs> well, there's going to be more to come on this episode, I'm sure. Because, I mean, I do think that's part of this documentary. And of all the horrible things that happened, doesn't it kind of seem like this documentary is presented from the guise of 40-year-old people who are very embarrassed about this time period? Not just specifically Woodstock 99, but... Yeah, I would say that one of the weaknesses of the doc is that there's a condescension to it. Definitely. It would and, be interesting to see if it wasn't all people who, because it does seem like a lot of people who were 20 during the time of Woodstock. You know what I mean? A lot of the people that are commenting on things. Well, it's a mixture of artists who performed at it, journalists, a few people who attended it, and then I'm there's mostly, like a couple of other commentators who I think were much younger than I, I'm mostly talking the about the journalists, yeah. I wanted more clarification on some of the credentials of some of the people to yeah. know if they were actually in attendance or not. Because some people speak from an air of authority in this film, and it did lead me to question, obviously, if it says attendee, then I know that they attended, and sure. they're not like a famous, or not famous, but they're not like a known writer or something. But the other people who were commenting on it, I wanted more clarification on if they attended or not. I think this, if we're going to do some nitpicking right off the bat i think this documentary is missing a lot of key interviews that it should have had yeah i think that's fair the poster boy of woodstock 99 became fred durst they don't have fred durst they don't have kid rock right they don't have anyone from the chili peppers or metallica or raging it's a machine they don't have carson daly they don't have kurt loader who are also become factors they don't have yeah. like a lot of people and i do think that the minimal amount of people they got to speak on film about this sort of hurts it. I think so too. You get Although, sick of the same people. After yeah, a while. I think that's true. I do think that this is something that a lot of these people just don't really want to talk about. I think there's a, a lot of negative association with. Could this it event. be that hard to get Fred Durst or Kid Rock at this point? It doesn't seem like it'd take much. I have to think that they tried. If they didn't, that's a huge miss for a documentary. I know. I'm, I'm sure they tried. Unless they were like, well, we're going to clearly paint certain people as like the bad guys. Or... That's true, which is possible, but that would be a, a bad job in documentary <laughs> filmmaking, I'd say. Although the promoters come off as pretty bad oh, guys and they're willing I to think, talk. <laughs> I think they're painted as the number one villains, really. I know Fred Durst at one point gets it pretty bad, but they throughout are, they're not in a glowing light really ever. Like not even that they even have really like good intentions for this thing. Well, I think the one thing that the documentary sort of touches on but largely doesn't explain in the right way or at least the way that i feel like it should yeah is that it's impossible to blame any one specific thing and when you appear on a documentary and you make your whole career or life out of being someone who comments on pop culture and has to have opinions you want to seem intelligent you want to seem like an expert you want to know what you're talking about Nowadays, you have to throw in progressive and woke and all that stuff into it, too. You can't come off bad in any sense. They don't have the balls to just admit that they don't know why the fuck this went so terribly. 
there's a lot of factors and they're all Absolutely. right. You can point to the angry music. You can point to the high temperatures. You can point to the extortion for the water prices. You can point to the culture, but that's what you have to boil it down to is like, yeah. why was the culture at this fever pitch in the late nineties? Where was this anger coming from? Right. What were people angry about? People bring up girls gone wild on this documentary as if that's the uh, yeah. cause. It's hard to feel like those two things are connected with each other. I think that they happened. In they're the- both symptoms of a greater yeah. thing that they can't explain and they're never able to explain in the documentary. Woodstock 99 was not caused by Girls Gone Wild and Girls Gone Wild was not caused by Woodstock 99 and they weren't caused by South Park or Jerry Springer or Howard Stern or wrestling being right. <laughs> mature rated or whatever. You know, it wasn't caused by any of this stuff or more violent movies like Fight Club or The Matrix. I'm of the opinion that something like Columbine, which also factors into this documentary, was not caused by those things either. It's just, what was the answer? And they just don't really know, and they don't really have the guts to just come I mean, out and say that. There's not even that much of an attempt. Yeah, they dance around all this different stuff. I think the whole bringing up of Girls Gone Wild is bizarre. I agree. And they try I to tie that you, in with the rape culture of the event itself. Girls Gone Wild to me seemed like this fringe thing that was like, oh, people who walk in the back section of the movie theater that, or the, the movie rental place that's like, yeah. you know, behind a curtain. That's for the people who are. It must have made a lot of money, though. I, but I wasn't ever getting the sense that girls that I was growing up with in middle school and high school were like, Oh yeah, Girls Gone Wild is like this thing that you know that it's, it's it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm right. To act I, like I I think that seems like a crazy assertion. I I think Girls Gone Wild was for a, a very fringe part of people and not something that was really making its way into the mainstream. I think that in trying to reconcile what happened and the way everyone was behaving at the event, they do simplify certain things. There were a ton of people walking around naked, mostly women. And a lot of these women were assaulted. There was a lot of assaults going on. And it, and I don't want to even muddy the waters at all. Of course, the assaults were not always just on the naked women. Not I don't even want to imply like, oh, the people that walked around naked were assaulted. It was everyone yeah, yeah. in all kinds of circumstances. And as the weekend went on, it got more and more out of control. Yeah. Clearly, I do think that it's strange to look back at this event and how quickly it was out of the news and people just moved past it i know it is crazy although i was telling you because i do remember and they show some of this stuff i can remember tracking along with this on mtv and i remember mtv having a negative spin on it very quickly oh yeah but i mean by two weeks later the world had moved on yeah yeah even though it was like this pretty horrible or at a minimum, an event where many horrible things happened. And nowadays, if this happened, we wouldn't stop talking about it for months. Now, I do think that there is probably a g- contingent of people, they probably didn't stay the whole weekend, but that went to this thing, saw some bands, left, and had like a fine time. I think that's not really captured. Yeah, but that was clearly the minority, because sure. they, yeah. they do make it a point that the people were like in a daze, yeah, and they were true. like zombified, and just stayed there for no apparent reason till the end of it like there wasn't a mass exodus on any of the days that's true even though there should have been because it was so horrible there was piss and shit everywhere i know it is there was minimal drinking water the sleeping conditions were terrible it was a mass of humanity the likes of which just seems impossible to control and then they had well definitely 
understaffed, under-trained security, who many of which didn't even act as security. They just sort of got their badges, went into the event, and then disappeared into the crowd. Right. There was no control over this situation, really. There was no repercussions. Like, who was going to stop them from doing it? Yeah, absolutely. No one. It definitely had this feel of just, like, a no-rules environment. And I do think that exists at festivals to some degree, but this was just way off the rails. And, I mean, like you said, it, it's a culmination of things that lead to everything being as relentlessly bad as it became and continue to spiral. I mean, I think you're at risk for these types of things with big groups of people, but this was a lot of different factors that led to it being as bad as this was. I definitely think there was some humor in the documentary, both intentional and unintentional. I do think they framed certain things to be funny, probably. The whole thing with Moby being pissed his name wasn't on that piece of plywood with the other artists. Right is a hilarious moment it is funny but it's kind of weird because then he can't distance himself from it quick enough like yeah, but that he's was mad the, that he's not recognized that yeah. was the old day and then right. in the new day he was yeah like current day he was at, trying to distance pretty quickly i did like kid rock's entrance in that the was hilarious white fur coat yeah 100 degrees <laughs> but none of the peace love and understanding of the 1960s translated into this at all they went with acts that were big at the time the headliners were basically metallica olympus yeah. corn red hot chili peppers there was no connecting that to anything woodstock related yeah i mean the bill seems so weird but you definitely can't blame the promoters for what it ended up being because they did go for who were the biggest acts at the time sort of shame on all of us for making those people be the biggest acts well true that's a good point yeah. but I do think that there is a certain responsibility for promoters of these types of events to program things in a way That's true. to That's balance fair. stuff out. Somebody points out that typically at these festival things, they do try to draw an eclectic crowd so that you don't get too That's true. one-dimensional. Yeah. And if your one dimension is like angry, frat boy rock, new you're metal. asking for trouble. Yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a worse genre than new metal. One of the more hilarious things is that there were three female acts. There was Alanis Morissette, Jewel, and Cheryl Crow. They were all scheduled one on Friday, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. That was like when I was excited about going to a show. <laughs> I was like the one person being like, oh my God, they got Alanis Morissette, Jewel, and Cheryl Crow. Head <laughs> <laughs> exploding. The Lip Biscuit fans just start throwing rocks at me. But one of my favorite parts of the doc is when they're showing a clip from Alanis's performance and they're talking about like a restlessness and an impatience in the crowd that's like sort of growing. And then the guy's like, I checked the schedule as to like who was coming up next. And it was Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. Oh, yeah. And she's basically out there as like an opening act for those three right. all in a row. And the crowd is barely able to contain themselves to this point we're talking like saturday evening of the weekend event things had been bad but not terrible that hadn't gone off the rails yet obviously the heat was a huge problem the human waste the porta potty situation that shit was disgusting mm -hmm. stuff was sort of bad but it was manageable and then things take a turn when limp biscuit performs and people start breaking things during the song break stuff Guys are walking onto the stage to whisper into Fred Durst's ear, like, we have to calm this down. He's not calming it down, like yeah, throwing gasoline on the fire. Not into that. 
They're breaking off pieces of plywood that they're holding up in the crowd. He's crowd surfing on one of them while singing. Oh, I guess not singing, but whatever doing his... it is that he does. <laughs> yeah. He's like whiny like, talk. voice. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just escalating it. And Limp Bizkit's like sort of the perfect example of this 1999 culture. Their music is ridiculous. It has seemingly no point other than to be annoying and abrasive and, and angry. angry. And yell. Yes. And even though the riot and the looting and the fires did not start until the next day, he does seem to catch a lot of the blame for this. And I do think that at least, because obviously we weren't there, so yeah. we don't know, but it does seem like everything takes a turn right. after Limp Bizkit uh, for the rest yeah. of the weekend. I, I wasn't really feeling like anybody was calming this down, though, either, like where this was headed. It seemed like people were not having yeah. a good... People were getting annoyed and pissed off at a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think that the promoters were very quick to try to blame Limp Bizkit and Fred Durst in the documentary, when in reality, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's always going to be their fault. It's their responsibility to keep this in control. Their security was non-existent. It was complete anarchy. There was no recourse for violence or sexual violence. Right. The EMTs proved to be somewhat undertrained and understaffed, too. As we find yeah, out with I the think uh, overwhelmed with the guy that passes away, the story of Dave, which is told yeah, which throughout is it, throughout the doc, and he he gets hypothermia or something, and his heart sort of seizes up during the Metallica performance that night, and the EMTs never took his core temperature. They're like kind of doing the electroshock paddles because uh-huh. they think he drug overdosed, that kind of a thing. And the organizers didn't really seem to want to take any responsibility for this yeah. whatsoever. I can't remember what, I think Lindsay was reading me this off somebody's letterbox or something, but it was pretty funny because it was like, you can't invite Fred Durst to your party and then be mad at him for being Fred Durst. That is sort of the attitude a lot of the people in the doc took too. Yeah. Like, what did you expect? But again, I'm still not really buying into this whole thing that him throwing gasoline on the fire really accelerated things that much more. So you're you're saying like it was inevitable anyway. Okay. Play the song break stuff without Fred Durst saying anything in between songs. <laughs> I'm feeling like people are like mosh pitting and getting pissed and like punching each other. Yeah, that's the responsibility that goes to the promoters. They booked a show that was all angry, aggressive music yeah. one after the other in the middle of the summer on hot asphalt charging money for yeah. water. I just don't feel like if Fred Durst gets up there and says, you know, throw an arm around the person next to you <laughs> and like Anthony Keyes does something similar the next night. I, I don't think that it has that much of an impact. I, I think this thing was off the rails. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't think they helped the music acts. Sure, but sure. They're not the number one cause. They're not the number one problem. There was a lot of other things on that list that led to this, too. But I think this is par for the course for 1999, which is sort of my underlying point from the beginning this anger that existed something like this happening is just sort of the natural conclusion or a natural conclusion not the ultimate one but part of what is going to happen when you get 400,000 people who are very similar it seemed like the majority of the people attending were white the majority of the people attending were under 30 and the majority of the people attending were male Mm mm-hmm that's the way they booked the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Three female acts, maybe The Roots and DMX, like the only 
at Wyclef. They're like the only hip hop acts. I uh-huh. think. I mean, there wasn't a lot there beyond the new metal anger rock. That's right. So who do you think's gonna come? Yeah. <laughs> Although it was weird looking back on it that Dave Matthews Band was there. They kind of fit more the bill of like the '94. Yeah, they probably weren't at the '94 because I don't know they were big yet. That's true. But yeah, that was one of those. He seemed like an odd fit based on the rest of the weekend. I guess they had some sense to like have cool down acts during the day, but yeah. they're booking one hard act after another at That's night. That's right, yeah. And things took a turn on Sunday. Sunday was the day that it all went off the rails. They start tearing down the mural walls. Yeah. See, this is why it would be like bad for me too because I'm such like a rule follower and like I need the rules and like when I see all these people tearing down walls, I'm like, "No, what are you like that gives me anxiety." Yeah, they start wrecking everything. During the Red Hot Chili Peppers performance, which I always thought they were last. It turns out that Megadeth was last, but they start lighting fires to everything. It's a bad scene, though, when people are expected to leave late at night on Sunday. Now, I know most concerts end late at night, Mm -hmm. but I think if it's a festival, the expectation should be that people are going to leave the next morning or something and trying to usher them out in the dark after being there days for three days. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. You see, it feels weird. Yeah. Like why would you want to stay all day Sunday yet? A lot of people did and things got crazy. Right. The looting, the fires. Yeah. I would think if something went late into the night, the logical conclusion to it would be you camp there one more night. I think that's sort of what it was Shuffling like out in the morning. The first yeah. Woodstock in 69. I don't really know about 94, how that worked. I, sure. I don't know. I think 94 was only two days and not three. Yeah. I don't know. It was a rough moment in our time. I think it's like a mortifying thing to look back on, even though we didn't go, but the fact oh, that God. we w- would have clearly wanted to. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I saw a lot of those bands live at different shows. I think at this, this point in my life, although I don't know if I ever came out of this point because i think i was gonna say i would have been scared to go to like an event like that which i still am <laughs> so oh yeah god imagine trying to like work your way up closer to the stage and then you're like i gotta go to the bathroom it just seems like you have That's to horrible. go so far yeah to get out of that massive humanity i mean this would have been the type of thing that if i did go i think it would have ruined my whole like wanting to do anything for like the rest of my life because <laughs> i would have been like this was so much work to get here you're not going to be able to shower, probably. Yeah, sleeping was horrible. The people there were horrible. Yeah. It just seems like... How many fights do you think were going oh, on? Oh, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just endless bullshit going on. Right. I would have been like, this is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not funny, and it's not fun. Yeah. So this basically is just a documentary that tells you about something that happened and it reminds you of it if you're old enough or if you're not old enough it's telling you a story you don't know there's no real takeaway from it i don't think that they draw the kind of conclusions that you would hope i almost feel like the takeaway is i can't believe it's not something that was talked about more kind of to your point how it faded out of the news this coming back onto my radar after not thinking about it for 20 years you know what i mean it's not like Everyone sort of talks about it in the documentary, like this thing that we all look back on in like shame and horror. But I'm just like, I don't really remember looking back on it at all or like it coming up. You were probably like a little too young. Yeah. For it to really define anything. And me too. Yeah. I can 
vividly remember the MTV coverage of the weekend and them being very like sort of harsh towards yeah, the promoters were trying to blame MTV for establishing a narrative. But I don't know what their motivation would be beyond yeah. it just being a terrible event. Right. And now I do remember like Kurt Loder sounding kind of like a pompous ass about it. Yeah, I do think that MTV did I mean, I, I don't want to say that they didn't have any motivation because I, I do think that they probably wanted to distance themselves from this culture yeah. because let's face it, as is pointed out in the documentary, they were a huge part of Limp Bizkit getting big. They were a huge part of promoting these bands. Definitely. And it does almost come across as hypocritical to like promote this event and then not want to deal with the fallout of it and distance yourself as if you're above it. Yeah. But they would play videos with violent imagery, with violent lyrics. They weren't really censoring that kind of shit. And this is like, what, three months after Columbine? I think it was April of 99. That's right, yeah. So I think there was maybe a little bit of, we got to like pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Now, the culture itself would not calm down for maybe another five, six, seven years. We used to reference it all the time, the Janet Jackson titty (laughs) at the Super Bowl. That's a big turning point in the culture when people were like, we got to rein everything back in because things are so out of control. I can remember kind of thinking to myself like a few years later, again, it's not something that I paid a ton of attention to. I don't know how closely the media covered the Woodstock stuff after it happened. But I can remember kind of thinking to myself, wow, that's crazy that like all of those popular bands were at one event together. I don't know why that's not something that's happening again. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, that was the first year of Coachella, which yeah. took a while to really. I don't think I don't think I was aware of Coachella until probably like the late 2000s, like 2008, 2009. Yeah, I think it took a while to really gain that yeah. sort of status. Right. And they definitely present Coachella like the anti-Woodstock 99 in this documentary. Yeah, which I found to be a little annoying. Yeah. Because I think Coachella is sort of like a douche event. Right. (laughs) It's just like people taking pictures for Instagram and being really annoying and stuff. And it's super capitalistic and consumer-driven. It's not some fucking utopian peace and love thing. You know what I mean? It's all about making a ton of money which is not really any different from Woodstock 99. It just doesn't have the violence. (laughs) They just weren't charging people for water in the first year. Yeah, I mean, it's probably better in the sense that it hasn't ever turned into some horrific event. I'm not saying they're equal in that sense, but they're trying to paint it as if it's like blameless and pure. And it's not. It's just different from Woodstock in that it didn't have those kind of problems. Right. Now, if there's a runner of the documentary, it's... The price of water. I think that that's the one thing that... That was a huge news story even back then. Okay. That's continuously mentioned throughout the documentary. Like It's almost like people will be talking about things and then they'll weave it back. It's almost like somebody has to throw it on at the end of every sentence. Like, And... The water's $4. Yes. That was the narrative picked up by the mainstream news even outside of MTV at the time, that that was a huge factor in the unrest. I don't know if they were making excuses for people for why they behaved like this, but even as a 15-year-old, I can clearly remember the Mm. water stuff. I was actually surprised in the documentary that it was only $4. For some reason, I thought it was way more. But you have to factor in how hot it was. And the fact that you'd be buying water constantly because they didn't let you bring in water. And they 
they try to make it a point to say that oh you could drink this other water but it's like water people are bathing in it's disgusting that part is gross yeah so you're basically being held captive and extorted for four dollars four dollars four dollars all day every day and you have to remember that the target audience for this crowd is probably like 25 and younger 30 and younger a lot of them are immature they don't know that they're going to need to drink water all the time because it's going to be so hot they're not bringing an infinite amount of money right to this festival that already costs so much to get into and when i think about myself at that age not the age when this happened but the age of like probably the people that were going to this event having a ton of walk around cash i don't think was something that i was yeah i'm sure for a lot of them they saved up their money just to get the tickets right that's not thinking thinking, they're gonna need to bring like so much more money because even if you brought like 50 bucks that's not going to be nearly enough to eat and buy all this water and stuff but it doesn't let everyone off the hook i think that there was a lot of anger there was a lot of different shit going on but ultimately these people started looting and burning stuff down and Obviously, it doesn't even begin to address the other sexual violence or things like that. Oh, yeah. Which, that was more of a product of 99, the fact that that was downplayed. That's true, yeah. The images you saw on the news were it was people more burning fires, stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's this, a, what I remember, the fires. Yeah, this got like way out of control. This is shameful, but they weren't talking about that shit. Although, some of it did come out. There was like a prison guard who was at the event who was convicted of raping like a 15 year old girl or something Oof. but yeah a lot of the stuff wasn't reported which is put in the documentary as well which is totally believable that's definitely not an era where that stuff was reported a lot in a place that chaotic who are you reporting it to do you think anything's gonna happen yeah it is crazy i'd love to be all on my high horse about it but it's like when you're in a crowd of this type of people, I mean, it can be, like, scary to get involved in things. Oh, yeah. I think it was sort of a dark situation for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm glad that I haven't been in a thing like this. Same. <laughs> I would not do well. I guess, like, that's the biggest takeaway that I think about for myself in a situation like this is that I just don't think I would have lasted very long in the situation. Some of the other comedic moments are seeing what some of the people look like now like dexter and noodles from the offspring oh that was not comedy for me that was depression (laughs) that was shocking i do think that a couple of the people that they get to speak some of the talking heads come off as obnoxious blowhards definitely i don't know that they're really saying anything as profound as they think they are about some of this stuff yeah because again people are just unable to admit that they don't know why this would happen and what to do about it yeah they're like almost being unfair to what the culture was at the time in what way i'm not talking about like oh it's okay that people did horrible things but acting like all of this stuff was embarrassing it's like yeah it was embarrassing but it's also what was the most popular stuff in the world at the time when i said earlier about it being condescending i do sort of feel that way too because a couple of the people commenting in the doc are coming from the perspective of they weren't the people that liked this stuff ever. So then it just feels condescending. Right, right. Where if you can admit when you were younger that you liked stupid shit, then it, it's it's more funny and self-deprecating and it doesn't come off as condescending because right. you're, you're a part of it. I can admit that me and my friends listen to a lot of this stupid music. 
Oh yeah. I, although I was never like super into it, but I did like a lot of this shit at various points. Yeah. Well, this era wasn't as for me. I, I certainly had my run with Corn and and Limp Biscuit and whatnot. Although I never owned a Limp Biscuit CD, I will say that. Yeah, neither did I. So I, apparently, I wasn't that in on it. But I, I was really. It was more the next era that came in that was more for me. This was for the angry. I was more with the sad generation. Once we got to the emo, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is, I'm the right target demo for this. Oh, yeah, me too, for sure. This wasn't my favorite music even in 99, yeah, but yeah. I did like some of the stuff. I liked a lot of the, I was the more... smaller bands that were on this, like Live and Bush. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, that was more for me, too. I would have probably been way more excited about Lilith Fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, no joke. I did think it was funny that they were implying that the ideals of like grunge and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff was like as foreign to these people as. Yeah, I didn't think that. I was like, well, then they're they, obviously these people have never lived in Pittsburgh where right. we still act like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that shit is like current rock. <laughs> <laughs> there has been no new music since 1994. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking I, about. Yeah, and I didn't feel like there was this huge disparity between... I know the way they paint it in, in the documentary. Grunge was almost... They, they paint grunge as like this more like peaceful thing with good motivations, and then... Well, I think, do think that that's true in terms of the ideals and the political stuff behind it. Yeah. It was being fronted by much more progressive thinkers. Sure. Politically, there's a huge difference when you're talking about like what the bands of the early 90s were standing for and talking about sure okay versus yeah, that's fair the more misogynistic homophobic stuff like that that would creep into the, that's the later 90s true. yes I, I i definitely agree with that i think that one of the things that they're trying to say is there was like a thread of anger sure and hatred that worked its way into this stuff and Everyone was sort of throwing up their hands, being like, well, we, we don't really know why or where this came from, but it was a lot different. <laughs> they tied it in with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and Napster and Girls Gone Wild, and you're just like, okay, I don't know. They're yeah. throwing a lot of shit at the wall and hoping that it sticks. <laughs> okay, so we both enjoyed it. We had a good time reminiscing about an embarrassing moment. I did think it's wild how much nudity is in it. That is crazy. It's I'm assuming definitely... it's because they all agreed when they bought tickets. Like part of the agreement was you're going to be on pay-per-view. Yeah, that's so your footage is free game. I think that was the only conclusion I could draw as well. And that I footage mean, was sold to this documentary. I it guess. does seem weird if you're like you're watching this now and you're like, "Is that my mom?" <laughs> Just walking around butt-ass naked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I but do that think... is kind of disturbing, though, too. Like, it's funny just... that they're like, oh, the camera guys for the pay-per-view were trying to just show a bunch of naked chicks. And then to prove their point, they show that footage of the naked chicks in the documentary. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> you always got to, like... We would have believed you. ...make sure that you include the naked chicks. Yeah. <laughs> the one moment that stuck out to me was when they were talking about the showers. That jumped out to me just... And I know the moment you're going to get to, but I couldn't even believe they constructed these things. But if you're going to go through with it, you would think there's a better building plan. Than, than just they... putting the male and female showers next to each other with like a tarp in between. Seems like a horrible idea. Yeah. And then on the documentary, they, they talk about how men were trying to like tear holes in it to, to watch the women's shower or whatever. And then they show a photograph of like inside the women's shower. And there's like some women in there that are unclothed 
one woman like naked bending over and i'm like okay well who is that person did they agree that this picture should be on there i don't know if being in the showers is fair game i get that if you decide to take your clothes off and walk around woodstock 99 when it's going to be on pay-per-view you're taking a gamble that you're going to be on camera but in the showers yeah there's a photograph that seemed weird that they included that but I think it's a fun time capsule, even though there's some dark shit. Absolutely. Obviously, the guy died that they talk about. There were two other deaths, I think, as well at Woodstock 99. The untold amount of rapes and sexual assaults, and obviously the violence and anger and all that shit. But beyond the more serious aspect of it, it's a bizarre moment in history to look at and wonder what the fuck anyone was thinking and how it got to this (laughs) how did this be the thing that was like capturing the culture like this was in the zeitgeist in that time period is it weird that i still felt like a twinge of nostalgia just because i was young at the time oh no i certainly went to my apple music and was like adding some things break stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's one of the unintended consequences of this doc is i saw that Limp Bizkit's music, there was like a 30% uptick in monthly streams. Yeah. <laughs> People were like, oh yeah, Limp Bizkit, I forgot about that. People always look back on different eras, either with rose-colored glasses or embarrassment. I remember in the 90s, the 80s was like the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah. And then the 80s became like the coolest thing that ever happened. But I just, I don't think this is ever coming back. Like, I don't think anybody's going to look at 99 and be like, that music needs to have another run. Yeah, I do think that they make a point of saying people look at the original Woodstock from 1969 with rose-colored glasses, that there were a lot of problems, right. things weren't as peaceful and great as it's made out to be in the in the documentary about Woodstock that everyone sort of accepts as the official record of the event now. Yeah, yeah. And that is the polar opposite of 1999, which everyone sees as this horrible embarrassment. But a lot of mistakes were made. Definitely. By a lot of people, the musical acts on stage, the people that booked them, the promoters, the fans themselves, who were mostly adults and should know better no matter what they're doing. That's right. A lot of bad behavior by adult people. I mean, I get it. The water was expensive and it was hot as fuck, but no one's forcing you to stay. You could just leave. It is just like a scary thing, though, when people get in a space where they feel like there's no rules. It just shows you that. You know, society can crumble in two seconds. It's a scary thought, but I think about it a lot. (laughs) At this point, I would welcome it. Yeah, society sucks. Society has kind of crumbled. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. Let us know if you'd like a sticker on Twitter. As we've pointed out a little bit. Over the last couple of recordings, the future, the immediate future, I don't want to scare people. The immediate future is a little bit up in the air. We might take a little bit of a break. We might not. We'll see how it goes. I'll try to tweet about it. And anything else? No, that's it. Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby, where we've checked in Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage, which you can watch on HBO Max. There you go join in on this discussion <laughs> we look stream some it. limp biscuit <laughs> <laughs> all right talk to you soon. it's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up everything is fucked everybody sucks you don't really know why but you want to justify ripping someone's head off no
and do you right here because I don't know I don't know you imagine that we shared some intimate moment that you have probably been drooling over for the past four years god you know how sick and deluded are you you know what why don't you just go off and get yourself a goddamn life asshole thanks man <laughs> that was the funniest thing I've seen all night 